0: Dokie folks. Welcome to the Roots Report Podcast, presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, Alwyn Entertainment, The Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SC Microphones. I am your host, John Fusick. Today, we have Tim Butler. Butler is a founding member of the band The Psychedelic Furs, who are known for such hits as Pretty in Pink, Love My Way, The Ghosts in You, and many more. They are back with a new album entitled Made of Rain and are out on tour in support of it. The Psychedelic Furs will be at the Strand in Providence on July 13th.
1: Monday's got the medicine, you can't believe it anymore. I wanted what I never had You get it then it's gone again You wonder where the weather went You're sucking on a cigarette And here comes the rain again And heaven isn't heaven sent I do Gordon got his gold and promises are bought and sold And everything I never said comes crashing on my tiny head
2: today
0: folks are out on tour
2: yeah that's correct yeah we're uh two shows in and then we got tomorrow night we we start up again we're in uh at the apollo in harlem new york it looks like you're out for about six weeks yeah we're we're all over the country
0: and you've got an album that well it came out in 2020 and i guess you were supposed to tour in support of that album but of course like everything else it got postponed right
2: yeah due to the 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 covid pandemic and we're all really excited. After I mean, it's been 30 years since the last album, so we were just excited to get out there and play new material to our, uh, our really patient fans. And of course, the pandemic came down and put a, uh, a lock on a lot of that. But yeah, we're out there now. And we're just we're just excited to be uh, to be playing the new album. Uh, not so new album. <laughs>
0: It's under the warmer for a while.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. People we'll have a, <laughs> had a chance to, you know, get familiar with it.
0: <laughs> so some of these songs, though, you had been playing in concert before uh, you recorded them, right?
2: Uh, there's only one. There was one, um, Wrong Train, which we'd been playing, I guess, since 2005. And all the other ones pretty much came together, you know, within six months or less of recording.
0: Made of Rain is the name of the album. I watched the video for that one. That was, I like that song it's got the it's got the you know the trademark psychedelic first sound all over it's that lush sound
2: yeah i mean well, i mean this new arms is like a definitely sound wise the psychedelic first but of course over the years you listen to things and you're influenced by things so it's not a dated first it's like a 2020 first
0: Mm, but you can still tell it's the psychedelic furs, which is the good thing about
2: uh, it. Yeah, I mean, with uh, especially with Richard's vocals style and sound. I mean, he's the most distinctive vocalist I think in the last forty years.
0: Mm, that's definite. You folks did this album remotely. You worked on it remotely. Everybody from their houses during the pandemic. I mean, yeah, pre 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 pandemic actually. You worked on this. Yeah, you I did... mean, we,
2: we, we, we when we got back together, we I mean, we were planning on doing another album, but we. Would know of us that it wouldn't, you know, stand up against our back catalogue. So I mean, we we're exchanging ideas, you know, on uh, over the internet and stuff, and we finally got what we thought was an album's worth of great songs. And the uh, the band at that time was uh, really jelling together. So we went in and recorded, and it took and it took two two week sessions to uh, to record so that it's not over not over produced or over overdone because you know things were two or three takes, and that would that's what it would. Take on a song, so that's, I think it sounds fresh for that.
0: Well, that's a good thing, because sometimes, you know, people do spend way too much time on an album and it, uh, it gets overcooked. and.
2: Uh... Yeah, that tends to be the thing, I mean, we got to a stage in the 80s, our first album was done in two weeks and by the time we got Midnight to Midnight we were in, you know, a sort of studio for six to nine months, came out over, overcooked <laughs> as one <you> might say. <laughs> so,
0: you you live in Kentucky? Yes, I do. And where does, you, where does um, your brother
2: live? He lives in, uh, he just moved to Connecticut now. He was in New York State for uh, quite a while.
0: Now, is he the one that used to live near CBGB's? Uh, we both did. Oh, you both did. When, when was that that you lived around there?
2: So that was probably the uh, late 80s to mid 90s. Oh, so it was
0: after you had already found success that you were living right around that area.
2: Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, we we, we moved to, uh, to New York in uh, 1982 after the Forever Now tour. And, uh, the, and you did a, a bunch of
0: dates at CBGB's. I read something about you doing a bunch of dates in the late 80s there.
2: Yeah, that was cool. We did, I think it was a, a week of, uh, well, five five days, not, you know, Monday through Friday we did there. That
0: must have been interesting uh, after, Playing, playing it's the bigger it's
2: such a, places. It's such, an, it's such an iconic place.
0: <laughs> I played there in the, in the early nineties. It's uh, it is quite the interesting venue. It was probably one of the more interesting venues I played.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, it's really. I mean, it's cool when the lights are down the neon and stuff, and that you know it's packed. when you go in for sound checks and the lights are up, and it's like, oh my god, it's uh... a. <laughs> <laughs> Many people, many people would say a dump.
0: <laughs> yeah, you definitely like need a tetanus shot for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, just everybody's played there, I and mean, it's just a, it's a, uh, an iconic place. Oh but yeah, the, yeah. Uh, like like the uh apollos and we're playing there tomorrow night and it's just you feel awe inspired
0: is the apollo the place you you have to rub the the tree stump before you go out is that the place that does that
2: yes that's it used to be then with the sunday night at the apollo with the amateur night at the apollo uh-huh. It used to be on every every weekend, every Sunday night.
0: Now you played the um, you played Royal Albert Hall yet in this tour? I know it was yeah, scheduled we, for the tour, but yeah,
2: it... that, that was like the uh, the Apollo show. It was rescheduled like three times because of the pandemic. But yeah, we played there probably two months ago now. How was that show? How did that show go? Oh, that's I mean that another iconic place. That was incredible, incredible. Just uh, I And mean, these places when you walk in there, and you think you know who's played there. You know the would be. Beatles, you know, the Stones, just everybody. In fact, when we first played, we played, um, well, we played Radio City in the 80s, the Hollywood Bowl. We played there a few times, and that's, it's awe-inspiring when you think of the history of these places.
0: Right, right. You you folks, you came, you were big, you were huge in the 80s. I mean, you had songs, MTV songs everywhere. I, it was just, you know, there was just the radio everywhere and MTV. And then by the end of the 80s, you guys, well, in the early 90s, you guys took a break for... A, for almost like ten years or so.
2: Yeah, well, by the the early nineties, when we brought out uh, the album "World Outside," we, we were sort of tired of of being the psychedelic furs. You know, the touring, writing, recording—you know, the repeat. Like the treadmill so we uh, we took a break and Richard and I did Love Spit Love in the in the 90s uh, and then we got back together in 2000 and found our, our love of the the furs and all the uh, the songs we'd written was back and re-energized.
0: Is this the same band you've had for two, since 2000
2: or have you got new people I mean besides you and Richard are there We've got new people I mean we've got Miles Williams playing sax with us who's played with us, you know, on and off since 1982. And we have, i mean, the guitar player we have now. John Ashton actually left the band. And we have uh, Rich Good, he's been with us for, I'd say, 14, 15 years. And then m- most recently, we got Zach Alford, uh, drumming, who's played with, he, he played on a lot, like uh, two or three albums with Bowie, and toured with Bowie, and he's the cook played with the b-52s and so it's uh, other than uh, richard and myself and as i said on and off mars uh, they're all pretty new is is amanda kramer still in the band yes yeah, she is i forgot i forgot to mention <laughs> amanda she's been with us for like uh, pro- probably since uh, 2001
0: now she's, too. she's played in a couple of other bands I forgot I listed the I can't find where I wrote down but she's played in a couple of notable bands too
2: yeah, I've, I've, yeah she played one like an electronic band in the 80s that were huge had a huge hit uh, I'm glad it's just I not me know. forgetting
0: you know her and you forgot <laughs> <laughs>
2: It'll come. will come, come back to me. It'll come back to
0: me. <laughs> so you you've had um, quite a few hits over the years. Now, is this are you going to be playing these hits over the in the show, or are you going to be concentrating on the new stuff, or is it going to be a mix? Or
2: it's a mix. I mean, you can't do a show without the hits, see you get you know hung, rolled, and quartered. You know, <laughs> and people people want to see those songs. But we do uh, five or six songs from the, uh, the new album and the hits and near hits and some. Uh, We've uh, dug up some ones we haven't played for quite a while for this tour. Keeps it fresh for us.
0: Right. Now, are you going to include the ones that were the big hits that people want to hear, like Pretty in Pink and Love My Way, The Ghost in You, Heaven, Heartbreak Beat?
2: Oh, yeah. As I said, you can't not do those or you'd never get out of town alive.
0: (laughs) Now, I I was looking at your albums, and it seems like the album that really brought you—I mean, you—you had this—the song "Dumb Waiters," but that song is kind of different from the rest of the stuff that was off the second album. But that song sounds—it sounds different than the rest of it. It seems like you hadn't found your groove in the sound yet. It that seems more like a like more closer to a punk a punk sound than the uh, the rest of the
2: stuff that you became known for. Yeah, I and mean, I, 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 I guess that was probably between the first album and the second album. That was probably a, a transition. Song. And it seems like you
0: you you worked with Steve Lillywhite for a while, but then you you switched to uh, Todd Rundgren on your third album. That's really where I think you found the trademark psychedelic sound for. It. Do you think that uh, Rundgren had a big influence on that sound?
2: Um, some, yeah. I mean, the, the, the people always. Uh, say is he the one that you know suggested uh strings and stuff and it wasn't i mean we, we, the reason we chose him was because he knew how to work with strings we'd heard he had an album he'd done an album called deface the music Mm-hmm. So I think he covers like some uh, some Beach Boys stuff and Beatles songs with, with strings and stuff, and we, we wanted to move in that direction. So we approached Todd. Um, he had he had some sort of impact, you know, here on on a song like "Love My Way." I think Richard was uh, singing it with more. Aggression, and he said, "Well, cal- you know, calm it down a bit, you know, and you know, we'll see." I mean, because it, it could be a single, he, and Rich sang it like he does. Todd said, "That's it, that's a single." Well, it certainly worked so, out. So he, he he helped sort of polish polish the sound and uh, control the aggression.
0: Now, I, I listened to to the new album, and songs like "Don't Believe," and "Wrong Train," and "No One" were songs that I really liked.
1: But And you wanted to wear these little things away And in the end, there's nothing left to say
0: stars and come all you faithful now that's just a that's just a, a regular saxophone on there right it's not is it processed or uh
2: i think there's some processing but it is a it's a real sax player and miles williams as i said has been with us recording since 1982 well, because it
0: sounds, I mean, that it sounds almost keyboardish instead of an actual saxophone. That's why
2: it sounds... I think, I think on some things it might be, it might have been uh, doubled with a, a keyboard sax to uh, to bolster it or, you know, even doubled on a sax and treated, you know, one of them treated and one of them not.
0: Yeah, because I, it, it doesn't sound like you're... Your typical saxophone. When I listened to it, I had to listen to it hard to to realize it was a saxophone, and to wonder if it was actually the true sound. Because you, I know that you would incorporate it, you know, this, the use of the keyboards and such in there. And it's, sometimes it's hard to differentiate between the actual instrument and the keyboard instrument. So. Yeah,
2: yeah. Mars is always into experimenting, trying to get you know different sounds with his sax and stuff, using effects.
0: Now, I I was listening to the the song "Hide the Medicine." That that kind of had a somber sound to it and it it was that is that song about suicide by chance
2: yes it would be that drugs and suicide
0: yeah, it's, it sounded like it had a bit of a message in there and a little bit of a story. Is that something that was uh, a personal experience from anybody or just a gen- general kind of um, message? Or? I think
2: it's just a, a general thing with the amount of keen uh, suicides and stuff uh, that are happening, getting worse and worse. You know, it's just a, it's just a thing alluding to that. Is your, your brother the lyricist for the band? He is, And he's one of the best lyricists, I think, in the last fifty years. Does he play anything,
0: or just, or is he just sing? Is it, is it?
2: He just sings. He plays a a little guitar. Okay. But uh, he's he's mainly a singer and. lyric writer. And uh, you're the bass player. Yeah, Richard and I tend to write a lot of the songs together. Although on the last album, the uh, the ex-drummer and uh, Rich Good, the guitar player, wrote some songs as well, which is good because it took a, took the pressure off Richard and I.
0: You and your brother have a good relationship, or do you have that uh, Oasis and Kinks kind of relationship?
2: No, I, mean, I, can, I can't understand that. You know, blood is thicker than rock and roll. You know, your family's always, always got your back, whereas rock and roll who won't necessarily uh, have your back? Yeah. Uh, we used to have arguments and fights and stuff in the uh, in the '80s before we before we figured out that you know you each. Of us has our own uh, important place in in the the band's sound.
0: There are quite a few sibling bands over the years, but it's you just always tend to read about the, the sibling rivalries that they have, and they they kind of become infamous about it. And I've never really heard about any sibling rivals rivalries with your band, and it's probably a good thing because you've been together for yeah. you know what thirty five years as a band on and off, but you're you know you've been brothers for your whole
2: life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Bye. <laughs> I mean, look at people. People nobody nobody ever mentions the Bee Gees. They are brothers, and they seem to get on okay. True, true.
0: I kind of forget about them sometimes. It's uh, <laughs> but now he's you know Barry's a solo because he's the rest of them died, so that he doesn't have to yeah. worry about sibling rivalry anymore. But um, <laughs> now, how the '80s were a very interesting time period, and you 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 folks found uh, quite a bit of success with MTV and such. And I I, I heard that you had kind of a love hate relationship with MTV during that time period. Why was that?
2: Well, I think it was was great when it started. I mean, it got you uh, uh, seen by people in pockets and communities in in the States where you wouldn't be seen, you know, otherwise, you know, unless you toured nonstop. But it it tended to get a bit, away from music, more towards their, you know, team series programming. I mean, you, you watch MTV now and it's very little music on it.
0: Oh, I didn't even know they had any music on it anymore. I thought it was just, yeah, you know... It's
2: to be called music television, and they have no music on it.
0: Yeah, all the stations, I mean, History Channel, The Learning Channel, they I, I don't even watch that stuff anymore because it's just... They're just networks now that just have these... They don't even nod to what they started out as. I mean, when MTV came about, I was in awe of MTV and being a musician and seeing music on television constantly, I was I was just I would be in a zombie state just staring at that screen for hours because it was the coolest thing. And to see where it's now, it's just you know it's horrifying to even you know I, I don't even yeah, turn and, it on uh, anymore. And I think
2: MTV was responsible for a lot a lot of the, the vacuous bands you get, you know, solo singers and stuff. It's it started to make more important the visual as opposed to the the sound. I mean, if if you didn't look cool and, you know, dress a certain way, you know, you uh, you wouldn't get the following and then you wouldn't get the plays on MTV. It became more about, you know, fashion and not about the music. Right, and
0: it switched over the whole music thing where you didn't know really what the performers looked like and it didn't matter if the performers weren't very good looking but they produced great music and before that you could have people that weren't very pretty making music and then all of a sudden you had to be pretty to make music and it kind of yeah, i, th- I yeah. think that was it, what it, brought in it, auto-tune and stuff because they had to adjust people's voices to match their looks and it which yeah is,
2: that, all the man is pretty much manufactured bands and manufactured music by you know the record companies and you know record company could gra- get hold of an artist who looked and you know looked great didn't, didn't sound that didn't sound that great, but they. They'd push it and hype it and until it was, you know, number one. Right.
0: It turned into like Coca Cola marketing for music and it's just Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, product. Which is a sad stage for the music and it's still it's still happening, you know. Oh, every yeah. once in a while you get bands that come along and, you know, kick that idea up the arse like Nirvana did. Mm. And uh, I guess mid seventies it was uh um before MTV, T V but uh, the Sex Pistols kicked the music business up the arse when it it was too complacent and all prog rock band, you know, so every once in a while a band will come along and kick the business up the arse and we'll, and now we go wait for the next one to come along. <laughs>
0: Now I, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but it's one of the things my girlfriend likes wa- has wanted me to ask, and it's about you know Pretty in Pink, how that whole thing evolved, because that was kind of uh, one of the things that brought you to to really notice is the Pretty in Pink movie, which was though it was the name of the movie was from the psychedelics first song, the movie has little to do with the song,
2: right? Oh, absolutely nothing. And the uh, the song is about someone who's a girl who sleeps around, and that, you know after she's been. You used and slept with, you know, nobody wants to to hang with her or anything, you know, it's just that that they only want her when she's pretty in pink, you know, naked. There's nothing at all to do with um, making making a dress out of old clothes. Now,
0: how did that happen? How did you hook up with John Hughes? Did he just hear the song?
2: Molly Ringwald apparently was a fan of the song and I think the album Talk, Talk, Talk and she uh, suggested to John Hughes that he write a movie vehicle for her around that song and at that time I, I guess she had a lot of uh, sway, because she had just come off, I guess, The Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles, and so she was a big thing in Hollywood, and uh, she asked him to write a movie vehicle for her, and he did, and it had nothing to do with the, the, the song except for the title. It was good and bad for us. It got us a lot of... Across to a lot of new fans, but it also lost us a lot of our older hardcore fans who thought we'd sold out.
0: Mm. Yeah, that always happens. That's always the case. Now, you re-recorded that song. It was... For the movie, right? You did a new version. Yes,
2: we re-recorded it because they they were original. They they said that the two guitars were slightly out of tune, and they were going to get someone else to uh to re-record. It. And they said, "Oh no, I'm, we're going to re-record it." We couldn't hear what they are meaning about the guitars, so we went in and re-recorded it. The original version is still the best version.
0: Oh, it usually is. Usually, the original because it has the passion and the you know the freshness of of a song whereas yeah. you know, by probably time you got around to it, it you know I know if I have played a song too many times it kind of gets you know a little stale Oh yeah what was what was the the impetus to get the band started now you guys started in the mid 70s and how old were you when you started the the, the psychedelic
2: Furs? I was uh 17 or 18 uh, and we just started we, we, I mean we started playing jamming around in uh, the front room at my parents house uh, with me Richard my other brother who passed on a few years ago I'm sorry and uh, Dunk, Duncan Kilburn and Roger Morris who were who were school friends of his and we we're just you know not planning on you know any, any career in music but they'd come around and we'd make a whole lot of noise in the front room and my parents finally said look you're getting too loud in there you have to you know go somewhere else <laughs> so we uh we started getting rehearsals uh s- studios and, and uh, jamming in and, and there and then you know slowly went to oh how about you know trying to get a trying to get a show together uh, and it just built from there you know yeah, we started out just having fun in the in the front room of my parents now you started out kind of it was it,
0: you were kind of a little punk when you started out but then you turned into post-punk and towards new wave but the, the 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 reason you chose psychedelic was because that the 60s bands were psychedelic and the punk people were very down on that at that time
2: yeah i mean that, that, that at the time we started up there's all the bands like those with sort of aggressive names like the clash and the stranglers <laughs> and venus, venus and the razor blades and uh, and stuff and they had been you know the, the sex pistols and they're all saying they're all put, putting putting uh, 60s music down and we just wanted something that you know people would look through a, a gig listing and see all these names and think wow the psychedelic furs what the hell is that about
0: where did the furs? Where did the word furs come in? I see psychedelic, but what? What was the reasoning behind furs?
2: Uh, I, I, I don't really, really remember. I think we were just uh, you know probably down in the pub kicking names around, and we thought, oh, psychedelic. Well, what will go with that? And but, <laughs> I don't know why furs. I can't remember why furs would have come up, <laughs> but, but it did, and it stuck. Must have been a few pints involved, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of pints. Going, a lot of pints going around in those days. You um, you
0: out on this tour you're on this tour for about six weeks are you going to be going out again after this uh to to anywhere else in the world or are you just going to do this this part of the tour and yeah then...
2: i mean we, we're gonna we were just over in england uh and are after this tour we take a, i think it's like a month and a half off and then we go to uh australia and hawaii and then we have get, of course christmas off and i think there's dates being uh looked at in europe for for next year, plus we're talking talking about trying to get a, another album together.
0: Well, that's good. Sounds like you're you're back into the into the fold again, which is a good thing. How has the uh, response been to the new
2: um, album? Um, great. I mean, it's got. I haven't read a bad review of it, and, and you know, two or 3 magazine's it got album of the year, and so which I mean, is great because we are so worried recording it that you know, what the re- reaction would be and whether it would stand up to uh, our past. Catalog, and it seems that you know people. I uh, think it's it's up there with those, if not, you know, better than that that catalog. So we've been very lucky. Especially after thirty years, right, of, right, uh, I, silence. It's,
0: I, I, it's been twenty since I recorded an album, so you're. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't feel as bad now. I've got a few years to put her around some. Yeah, more. <laughs> yeah, you
2: can, you can still get an album together.
0: <laughs> so you definitely still have this the psychedelic first sound. The music's still great. I I like what I heard on the new album, and uh, I, I'm glad that you guys are out there playing. Uh, anything you want to add before we wrap up about the show? You you're playing at the Strand in Providence on July 13th. Anything you want to say to folks who are thinking about coming out to just, the show?
2: I'm, I'm just saying we just. Saying excited to be back playing and have the new album to to play because we're so proud of it and it seems it goes down well and we play five or six songs off the new album and of course people don't really know them as much as they know you know pretty and pink and heaven and uh, the hits and almost hits but uh, the shows have been going well and it's been a while since we've been in Providence it's just you know just exciting to get back to those places and play new stuff really new stuff
0: (laughs) I want to thank you very much for taking the time and talking to me today. Hopefully, I will see you on the 13th. Hopefully, see you there. All right. Well, thank you very much and uh, good luck on the tour.
2: Thank you. Have a good day. You
0: too. Thanks so much.
1: Surprised when every second has its place. Don't be surprised at all. Don't be surprised when all your days are yesterdays. Don't be surprised at all when the new black is.
0: Okie dokie, thanks to Tim Butler for being part of this episode of The Roots Report Podcast. The Psychedelic Furs will be at The Strand in Providence on July 13th. For more info, run and run over to thestrandri.com. The Roots Report Podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, Arwen Entertainment, The Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden, Graysale Brewing of Rhode Island, and SE Microphones. Thanks for listening.